A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehudi Gabriel with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored in honor of Jewish History Soundbites with the hope of continued success and in more interesting topics to be explored. So, I had a, had a little bit of a busy week, so that's why the episode is a bit tardy. I had a, earlier this week, I had the privilege of being on the Headlines uh, Halacha podcast, uh, discussing the topic of splits in, uh, in different Hasidic groups throughout the history of the movement. And uh, you might want to check that out. I think it came out pretty interesting. also had earlier this week... The Mashgiach, Rabban Chadash, the great Mashgiach of the Mir Yeshiva, his first yard site. Did a tribute episode on him last year by his passing. So you might want to check out that episode as well. Um, and then, of course, we had uh, two great Hasidic holidays. Um, Yutes Kislev, the yard site of the Maggid of Mizrich, as well as the day that the Alter Rebbe, Pshneir Zalman was released from prison. And then today is Chafal of Kislev, the day the Satmarov was rescued, or Satmarov or Bielish title, Ben was rescued from uh, the Holocaust. So um, what more appropriate topic could we have than to talk about the legacy of the Vilna Gain? I'm just kidding. But that's going to be the topic of today, the uh, Vilna Gain, uh, the Gra, how he's referred to in many different titles, um, and his legacy today. So it's it's just... Happens to be a great topic to discuss. Um, I remember, you know, I bring uh, groups all the time when we're in Lithuania, to, of course, to the Vilna Gain's kever. It's been reburied um, in his uh, in, the, in the new Jewish cemetery. The old Jewish cemetery was destroyed by the Soviets in the 1950s, and uh, he's, his 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 uh, his and his family's gravesite was the only one that were only ones that were rescued. Unfortunately, the ancient Jewish cemetery of the Vilna Jewish community was completely destroyed by the Soviets at that time, but the remnants of the Jewish community in Vilna in the 1950s, they removed the uh, Vilna Gain's cover and they brought it to the new Jewish cemetery. So either way, so we, we always go, of course, and I was once uh, uh, accompanying a group, uh, guiding a group where there was a great uh, Rosh Hashiva, and he told me, uh, he told me that he, he's very nervous, he's very 
uh, you know, to go to the Vilna Gain's caverns. You know, the Vilna Gain is like, so, you know, almost of mythical proportions. He said, I think that we shouldn't even talk about the Vilna Gain on the way to the cavern. You know, usually a guy to tell stories. And he said, we shouldn't even talk about it because how can we talk about the Vilna Gain? He, could, he said, who else is buried there? He said, Reb Chaim Grajensky was also reburied in the New Jewish Cemetery. So he goes, talk about Reb Chaim we can't talk about the Vilna Gain. We can go, perhaps visit him if we're, if we're roi, if we if we're allowed to, but uh, to talk about him, how can we talk about him? So, perhaps this uh, this uh, this uh, episode is inappropriate also because we're talking about him, but we're talking about his legacy. So, I think that's okay. I think we could get away with that. Um, the sources on the Vilna Gain is almost unmatched in recent uh, Jewish history. There's an enormous amount that has been written about him, um, both on his Tyra, on his, him as a person, on the Vilna of his of his uh, of his lifetime, of his time period. Just a, a quick summary of some of the books and literature that's out there. Not long after the Vilna Gain's passing, just a couple of decades, you had Aliyos Eliyahu, Rabbi Shua Heshel Levin, who was part of the Velazhin family. And he wrote the first, somewhat of a biography, more of a hagiography of the Vilna Gain. Uh, later on, you had much later, much more famously, um, in 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 uh, you had probably the biggest classic. You had Bitzal Landvi, whose um, whose book was uh, later adapted and translated in English for Art Scroll, which they republished it. Oh, even earlier, sorry, before that, you had Rabbi Hudalei Fishman Maimon, who wrote also a biography of the Gain. In recent years, you have Dov Eliach, who wrote a three-volume uh, Hebrew biography of the Vilna Gain. Again, some of these books are okay, some of them are good, some of them are terrible. <laughs> so, um, you have to know which ones to read. You have also uh, Professor Emanuel Etkes, who wrote Yachid B'doyrei, a unique one of his generation. I think it might have been translated into English, I don't know, I have the Hebrew one. Um, about uh, not not a comprehensive biography, but about different facets of the life and influence of the Vilna Gain. There's an awful book that was written recently, um, Elio Stern in English, The Genius, Elijah of Vilna and the Making of Modern Judaism. I didn't particularly like that one. Um, there's and, and many, many articles have been written. I saw in Leo Jung's um, comp- compilation of great biographies, so... The article on the Vilna Gain was uh, was authored by Reb Moshe Yasher, who also was the biographer of the Chavetz Chaim. Um, so that's just one example, but there's an amazing amount of articles in various different publications over the past two centuries. Then on the city of Vilna, uh, both during the Vilna Gain's time and before and after, there's the famous Ir Vilna by Hil Noach Magid Steinschneider. There's Kiria Neemana by uh, Finn, Shai Finn. Um, and then there's Yisrael Klausner, who wrote uh, Vilna B'Tkufat HaGaon, uh, Vilna during the time of the Vilna Gain. And then there's, that's all the small, the small stuff. The big stuff is his Tyra, because people just keep on pu- putting out more and more Sfarim, uh, you know, of his Tyra, that hasn't been previously published in recent years, or David Kamenetsky, um, has published many books earlier on. Reb Shleim Brevda of Blessed Memory published books of the Vilna Gain and many, many others. I mean, it would be too numerous to mention. An endless amount of literature on his customs and on his, his tire. There's 
Then there's on his Kabbalah. A lot of his stuff is Kabbalah. On his views of of uh, Eretz Yisrael and Geula, Mashiach, Messianic topics. There you have uh, Aryeh Morgenstern and Yosef Avivi and Rafal Shochat and others uh, who have written on that topic as well. So there's just an absolutely enormous amount out there. Um, I can't say I've even, you know, given you a comprehensive list here. There's much, much, much more. I just gave a little bit of a taste. Um, and I definitely haven't even come close to reading everything that I just uh, shared. There's a few of those. I'm going to focus um, on my favorite is uh, Etkis's book. Um, on generally, I like his stuff. So um, that's that's the perspective I usually take when discussing the legacy of the Vilna guy. It's also interesting to point out that his status in the country of Lithuania today, the non-Jewish country, the non-Jewish government, in the old Jewish quarter in Vilna, there's Gaono Street, named for him. The Jewish Museum, the Museum of Jewish History in Vilna is called the Vilna Gain uh, Museum of Jewish History. There's a really ugly-looking sculpture uh, of his uh, of his of his supposed likeness by where his house once stood. So even though uh, you know those who maybe appreciate art and sculpture better than I do, so maybe it is actually nice. But I happen to dislike it a lot. But the fact that it's there and there's plaques all over the place. Uh, just last year, in fact, was the 300th anniversary of the Vilna Gaon's birth, and the Lithuanian government proclaimed that this would be the year of the Vilna Gaon. And they even minted a 10 euro coin about the Vilna Gain. And unfortunately, they had almost no tourists. It was supposed to be a big uh, boost to the tourism industry because they don't have much going for them in Lithuania as far as tourism goes. But unfortunately, in 2020, there was zero tourists basically the entire year because of Corona. Um, but uh, it was a nice try either way. Um, so he has this... The Vilna Gain was, I mean, his his legacy is almost unmatched in his lifetime. And then in the last two, two centuries plus, his impact on Jewish life, he was he was someone so unique and so rare uh, in his greatness and in his his uh, scholarliness and his everything. Hagain Hachasid. It was a complete shleimus, a complete uh, ultimate ultimate what. What could be uh, what could be had uh, of, of you know already already by the people of his own day they saw it as so as he was someone so rare and so unique so I want to just focus a little bit on his legacy and his impact over the centuries um, he was a legend in his own time by the people who knew him intimately he was there's nothing really to compare him to he's a rare individual the intro introductions that were written by his students and by his sons into into this forum of his that they were publishing is so effusive with their praises and, and you know that uh, definitely helped shape the legacy and the authenticity of it by the people who actually knew him and this is someone who never held any official position he was never in the rabbinate he never had a yeshiva he never had any institution he didn't even have students in the under the accepted definition of the term he of, of Talmidim that he didn't have that the, the the Talmidim themselves they spoke about how they never studied by him consistently it was just several of them at a time and even then it was used, it used to go like on visits and discuss certain topics or points with them they called themselves not Talmidim but rather Roye Pene Hagra they they 
were able, privileged to have seen the Vilna Gain's face. Uh, he had very, you know, very several different titles. His official name was Revelio Kramer. He was called the Vilna Gain, or the Gain, or Hagain Hachasid, because he had both components to him, or the Gra, which is an acronym for Hagain Rebeliahu. Um, so there's uh, different uh, facets of it. And it's important to remember also the historical context of the world that the Vilna Gain lived in, what was going on in the Jewish communities of Eastern Europe uh, during his time. You have the founding and the spread of Hasidus, starting from the Baal Shem Tev and later through the Magid. This is all during the lifetime of the Vilna Gain. Um, in 1777, which is also during his lifetime, again, the Vilna Gain lives from 1720 to 1797. He's 77 at his passing. Um, and 20 years before his passing, you have the Aliyah of the Hasidim to Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Nachman Mendel Vitebsk, and Rabbi Kalisker. That happens during the Vilna Gain's lifetime, which is also an interesting point, because he himself tried to move to the land of Israel, and later on his students were to go ahead and do so. There's the very crucial point, is the annulment of the Vad Arba Ha'aratzes, the Council of the Four Lands by the Polish Kingdom in 1764, and later the weakening of the power structure, the autonomy of the Kahal, the weakening of the Rabbinate, which is a very important point throughout the Gain's lifetime, um, the changing roles, the changing power of the Kahal, the changing economic circumstances of Jewish Eastern Europe, which I recently discussed in the uh, episode of the Three Partitions of Poland. Uh, that was in Eastern Europe, where the Vilna Gain actually resided, but way off in Central Europe, which was far from his uh, place of residence, but not far enough that it would be outside his sphere of influence. He actually had an impact also on the Jews of Central Europe. So there's still the remnants of Sabbatianism, of the Shabsai Tzvi, uh, false Mashiach. There's the Frankists, which is a reincarnation, rein, reincarceration, one of those words, of, uh, of, uh, of, of Shabsai Tzvi, Jacob Frank, and that whole mess with that, both in Eastern Europe and then later on in Central Europe. Then you have the Rabbi Yaakov Emden, the Yaivitz, uh, and Rabbi Yenison Eibeshitz controversy, which rocked the Jewish world, especially in Central Europe. And the Vilna Gain is requested to be directly involved in. He's asked by Rabbi Yenison Eibeshitz to come to his defense, which he does, uh, defending him against the claims of Sabbatianism. Um, that, that becomes a major controversy that goes on during the Vilna Gain's lifetime. There's another one of the oddest, strangest stories of the 18th century is the controversy surrounding the Cleva Get, uh, the, the, the divorce document uh, from the town of Cleva or Cleves, and uh, and the, the uh, that was a major rabbinic uh, controversy dispute in Germany, Frankfurt, and other places um, at the same time period that the Vilna Gaon lived, um, and. Uh, you also had the early early parts of the Haskalah in in Central Europe, in Western Europe. Moses Mendelssohn um, lived uh, during the same time as the Vilna Gain. I always found it interesting that Moses Mendelssohn, the Baal Shem Tev, and the Vilna Gain, arguably the three people who have the most, uh, as individuals, the most influence and impact on modern Jewish life, they pretty much, I mean, they didn't live exactly at the same time, but they all overlapped. They, they basically lived around the same time, so the beginnings of the German Haskalah of, in Berlin. Um, it takes place also the, during the Vilna Gain's uh, lifetime. And you have 
upheavals in general society. Like I said, the episode I just had about the partitions of Poland, the Vilna Gain lives through all three partitions of Poland. He's born into the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and by the time he passes away, Vilna is in Russia. So it's, uh, it's, it goes through the whole process of, of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 the, of that political change and all that accompanies it. And then, of course, the changing status of the Jews throughout Europe. You have the French Revolution that takes place in the Vilna Gain's lifetime. The beginnings of the Napoleonic uh, era is towards the end of his life. And, uh, and, uh, and like I said, the government uh, abolishes the Council of the Four Lands. This all has ramifications on Jewish life. So the Vilna Gain uh, is born into a very prestigious rabbinic family, uh, Vilna rabbinic family, the Baragayla, among others. He spends some time in Kedan, a small Lithuanian shtetl north of Kovna. Um, is actually, he spends some time there, just a couple of months, with a young Rabmaisha Margolis, who later authored the Pnei Maisha and the Yerushalmi. He was only slightly older than the Vilna Gain. Eventually, the Vilna Gain marries. His wife is from Kedan. He did some traveling to other parts of Europe, and later in life, he attempted to move to the land of Israel, which did not work out. He wrote a famous letter uh, to his family about that, which is an interesting topic also. He dedicated primarily his entire life to Torah study, nothing else. He barely ate, he barely slept, he never had any official position, never had an institution. Uh, like I said, he never had really any even students. It was Raye Penehagra. He never even had his works published in his lifetime. All his farm were published posthumously. He just studied Torah his entire life. A complete dedication to the cause of Torah study. He still became world-renowned and even legendary during his own lifetime, and he was supported with a stipend by the Vilna Kahal. So the community respected him enough that they appreciated what he was and what he stood for, so they he got a support from the community. His form of leadership is charismatic. It's outside of the official Kahal establishment. And he... Uh, he also, one of the other interesting aspects of his life was that he argued on established custom. He argued on established halacha, even on much earlier uh, halachic precedents and, and uh, uh, halachic texts. And the irony of all that is that when seen, it's in, when seen in context with his um, strong opposition to the Hasidic movement, um, the leadership model of the Hasidic movement was charismatic outside of the official kahal. And many of the issues people had with the Hasidic movement was that they argued on established halacha and customs. But the Vilna Gain, both those things he did himself. So the uh, opposition to his opposition to the Hasidic movement was more nuanced um, and more strong, more vociferous, more you know violent almost. In his personal lifestyle, he was in a... In a Aesthetic, uh, aesthetic. He was a mystic. He, he very, very um, simple lifestyle. Like I said, he barely ate. He barely slept. Um, that's why he was hagayin hachasid. He was not just um, uh, his wasn't just about his total dedication to Torah study and his absolute genius and that his knowledge, his sheer knowledge of everything in the entire gamut of Torah knowledge that unsurpassed. No one, no one could even. You know, come close to that, or or even compare. There was nothing even to compare it to. But it was also his lifestyle, the simplicity of his lifestyle, the negation of all 
physicality, all all physical aspects of, of, of anything in his in his personal lifestyle. He also engaged in textual criticism and fixing the uh, mistakes that had crept into the text, uh, the Talmudic text, and others for him as well. And he he fixed it based on his understanding of the entirety of Torah. He did not fix it based on his study of manuscripts. Um, that was also part of his great genius. And this model of total dedication to Torah study becomes uh, the ideal standard of scholarly Lithuanian life pretty much down to this very day. So he becomes that role model. And at the same time, he was also a mystic and a uh, Kabbalist. So this combination makes him completely unique. In other words, uh, both his uh, total command of Torah combined with his aesthetic lifestyle, um, and he only gets involved in public um, communal life issues on two occasions in his entire life. Um, He pretty much stayed in his own room, with his own cloys, he had his own cloys where he would meet with his, his students and, and, and he would study. Um, but that was it. He never left. He never, he never went out. He never got himself involved in anything. There was only two, two times that he did. That was the controversy of the Vilna rabbinate. It was a long and bitter controversy. The last rabbi of Vilna, his name was Reb Shmuel ben Avigdor. And this was a 30-year war from 1761 to 1791 when Reb Ben Avigdor passed away, um, and it was a the, the 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 two sides were the rabbi and the Vilna Kahal, in other words, his employers, the ones who hired him. Um, so Avigdor's supporters included the growing working class in Vilna, who who the Jewish Jewish working class in Vilna, who did not have voting rights uh, on the Kahal. Uh, so they they supported him. Also, the Hasidic community of Vilna, which there was one. In the Vilna Gain's lifetime, um, and they they supported the rabbi also. Um, the the son-in-law of Rabbi Shmuel ben Avigdor was Rabbi Baruch Mordechai Ettinger, who was the head of the Hasidic community in Vilna later on, and uh, also the official kahal of other nearby cities also supported the rabbi. The Vilna kahal, which was on the other side, their support was from their power. Uh, they they ran the community. They had control of their community. There was also they had some. There was some corruption there going on. They, they tried to frame him with certain things in order to destroy him. They also drew their support uh, from the Vilna Gain. The Vilna Gain was on the Kahal's side. It's interesting that in both this dispute uh, with the Vilna Rabbinate, as well as his opposition to the Hasidic movement, the Gain and the Kahal were on the same side. Like I said, the Gain also received the stipend from the Kahal, so he was, he was supported by them. Um, but this this um, this thirty year battle only ended with Shmuel ben Avigdor's passing, and when he passed away, the Vilna uh, Kahal decided to never appoint another chief rabbi of Vilna again, which uh, lasted almost until the war, until the next uh, Vilna rabbinate controversy, which I covered in another episode. Um, the next time that the Vilna Gain got involved in a public issue was the opposition to the Hasidic movement, which I already covered in a different episode about the opposition to the Hasidic movement, but I'm just going to review it in a quick summary of the three main points surrounding the Vilna Gain's involvement. The first question is, who initiated it? this opposition, this cherem, excommunication, this labeling the Hasidic movement as minim, as heretical? Was it the Vilna Gain himself, and he got the Vilna Kahal to support him and to go along with it? 
Or was it the opposite? Was it the Vilna Kahal who initiated it and they were able to uh, commandeer the support of the Vilna Gain? So it seems to have been initiated and led by the Vilna Gain himself. And he was the one who got everyone else involved. And again, it, t- it attests to the power of his leadership. He's not someone who was the rabbi of the city. He's not someone who had any institutions of this city. But it was a recognition of his greatness. It was a recognition of, of who he was and what he represented that, uh, that people went along with it and the Vilna Kahal went along with it. It also means that it was, if it would, had been the initiative of the Vilna Kahal, it probably would have been more social, political. But the fact that it was someone as great as the Vilna Gain means that the opposition was a religious and spiritual opposition. It had more substance to it. That's point number one. The second point is how did the Hasidic movement deal with the fact that someone with the Gain's stature was the one who was going to war against them? So there we have a very interesting insight because we have the letters of Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, and in that letters he describes exactly an answer to this question. He addresses this issue head on. And in it there's a recognition of who the Vilna Gain was on one hand, but on the other hand, he also makes the claim that the Vilna Gain was misled and accepted false testimony um, uh, in order to come to his conclusions about the Hasidic movement and his opposition towards it. Later on, the historiography on both ideological ends, both of the Misnagdim and the legacy of the Vilna Gain, and on the Hasidic end, they engaged in three forms of explaining this, uh, you know, period of history, which lasted, the active opposition, the violent opposition lasted only about 30 some odd years, primarily during the Vilna Gain's lifetime. Um, so they engaged either in ap- apologetics, uh, in other words, the Gain actually saved the Hasidic movement with his opposition, something along those lines, or they would engage in harmonizing efforts. Everyone gained from the tension and the opposition, that would be a second approach. And the third approach is ignoring it or denying it or pretending that this uh, phase of violent opposition and cherems and all that uh, never took place or at least play it down. The third point uh, about uh, related to this, uh, the opposition of the Vilna Gain uh, to the Hasidic movement is the fact that his students, primarily Reb Chaim of Alejan, who's considered his prime disciple, abandoned his Rebbe's approach. He did not label the Hasidic movement heretical, minim, and he accepted them while engaging in a polemical, ideological, intellectual debate uh, as to the legitimacy of their ideas. Um, so the, the approach of the Vilna Gain is abandoned by his own students and it goes into an ideological phase as opposed to a cherem uh, phase. So that's interesting as well. So now we move on to some of his other legacies. You have his written legacy, uh, all of his many, many svarim on the full gamut of topics, many Kabbalistic works, and then on everything possible across Torah literature, and Shas, and Halacha, and Chumash, and Tanakh, in, 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 in uh, all areas of, 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 uh, of Torah, and in mystical and Kabbalah, um, in recent times, especially his customs. Um, there's all kinds of uh, books written about his customs. It becomes even more and more popular as many communities have adopted his customs and incorporated them into their uh, uh, communal structure. And all of his svarim, like I said, were published posthumously. So that's a true uh, legacy of his. There's another legacy of his of, of moving to the land of Israel. He is one of the early ones who popularized it after the Aliyah of the Hasidim to Eretz Yisrael. So it was also the Vilna Gain. He himself tried 
to go, and then later on his students established the yeshiv uh, in Yerushalayim. First they were in Svas and Tariya, and then in Yerushalayim, the students of the Vilna Gaon, the Prushim, and the influence that that yeshiv and its influence on world Jewry today from the Prushim community. And of course, the debate goes on about the motives for the Aliyah. Was it messianic, or was it just a spiritual pursuit to study Torah in the land of Israel? And I addressed that in another episode as well. There's another legacy in the Vilna Gaon, and that is the study of Kabbalah. Um, he, he was a great Kabbalist, and many of his works are on mystical topics. And uh, the the stream of thought of the Vilna Gaon in Kabbalistic circles has become more popular, especially in recent times, and that is a legacy left by the Vilna Gaon as well. There's another strange legacy, uh, an inaccurate one, uh, that, that persisted for some time in the 19th century. I'm not sure how popular it is today. Of the of of the Gain and his knowledge of general topics and that relation to the, the growing Haskalah movement in the nineteenth century, both the supporters and the detractors of the Haskalah movement in the nineteenth century pointed to the Gain's uh, involvement and vast knowledge of general general science and general knowledge, um, and. Uh, and to, and to people who were associated with the Vilna Gaon, um, Menashe of Ilya, who was a proto-maskil of sorts, and Baruch of Shklov, who translated scientific texts with the Gaon's blessing and encouragement. Um, so the, the Gaon had a vast knowledge of, of, of science, of mathematics and astronomy and, 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 and all kinds of things like that. A lot of areas of science that I don't even know what they are. Um, and... and uh, and the question is, does that mean that the Vilna Gaon encouraged that study? Does it mean that, that the Haskalah movement had a right to look at him as a role model in the 19th century? So the truth is that many rabbis of the Gaon's time were receptive of general knowledge to be used in the ser- to service the study of Torah. But it does not make the Gaon unique and special in that regard. Um, and it also doesn't give him any connection to Haskalah, so it, it is a very inaccurate portrayal. Um, another legacy of the Vilna Gain was the Valajin Yeshiva and the Nefesh Chaim, both products of his primary student, Reb Chaim of Valajin. So the Valajin Yeshiva has an educational method and of teaching uh, Torah. And the Sefer Nefesh Chaim, which became somewhat of the Bible of Misnagdik Lithuanian Torah Jury, um, becomes a, perhaps, uh, what, maybe the most enduring uh, and strongest legacy and impact of the Vilna Gain through his student, Reb Chaim Velazhener. Another one, of again, of questionable veracity, is his impact on the Musser movement. Uh, the adherents of the Musser movement like to point to the Vilna Gain as the spiritual uh, godfather of the movement. Um, it's questionable, meaning it goes, the, 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 to trace the line, it somewhat goes through the Vilna Gain, to Reb Chaim Velazhener, to Reb Yasef Zundel of Salant, to Reb Yisrael Salanter. But it is not a linear path. First of all, you probably have to skip over Reb Chaim Velazhen. I would not uh, accurately associate him in any way, shape, or form with the Muslim movement. And even the guy himself, it's questionable whether, I mean, in his writings, it appears that Musser would appear to be a very strong component, especially in his commentary on Mishle, which was the first safer of his published following his passing by one of his students of his later years, Rav Nachem Mendel of Shklov, who was eventually the leader of the Aliyah of the students of the Vilna Gain, to Eretz and the founder of the Yishav in Yerushalayim. But um, in his personal life, 
and in other writings it doesn't it doesn't it's not very clear but the, that that is seems to be somewhat of a of, of a legacy and then a general legacy of, of on Lithuanian Jewry how he was viewed by generations of Lithuanian Jews both Torah scholars and the masses they all looked at the guy as the ultimate pride and leader uh, of of uh, Lithuanian Jewry for uh, you know for all time and then of course in his style of Torah study of uh, his dismissal of Pilpul um, and his focus on the pshat and on the text and on the correct reading of the text and on the MS and on the, the search for the, the true uh, understanding of, of, of the text in front of that also had a, a great and lasting impact. So that's a little bit about the legacy of the Vilna Goyen. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoy.